welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Oh, this is, you'll have to pray for me during this sermon. Uh, Lalia's first Sunday working, and so Judah, who, our five-month-old, is in the nursery for the first time ever, and then Silas, his two-and-a-half-year-old brother, who's very much a toddler, is over there too, maybe kicking, biting him, things like that, that I cannot monitor. Um, so let's just hope it's okay. I trust the staff back there. They say that ignorance is bliss. So I guess if you want to be happy, then you should right now just decide to mentally check out. I'm giving, I'm giving you a free pass right now. Just check out because ignorance is bliss. So you can go ahead, you can update your fantasy football team. I think the games have already started, right? You guys know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you can check the scores. Um, you might need to just think about what you need to get done this week, whatever you need to do, but just don't listen to this sermon. Today you are going to be hearing about the stark realities that we face as humans. We are going to get into the nitty-gritty of this thing that we called life. It's very uplifting, I know. Part of our duty as Christians, though, is to take the entirety of Holy Scripture and learn from it and sit at the feet of God as he teaches us about himself and about his creation. And so last week when our guest preacher, he preached on James 1, verses 2 through 4. And I thought that was great because I knew I was starting this series on wisdom for Ecclesiastes. And so Verses two through four of James one say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But in the very next verse, James one five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given to him. Show of hands, who lacks wisdom? If you're not raising your hands, guess what? You're, yeah, (laughs) you lack wisdom. Um, So what does it really mean to be wise? Is it even a character trait that we value anymore as a society? And what's the difference between wisdom and intellect or smarts? And I'm going to show you a a clip from a show that some of the first service knew. I don't know if many of you will know this. Some of you will. And this might be the marker for first half of life versus second half of life. It's a show called Dragnet. Anybody? I see some people like, yep, mm mm-hmm. Okay, so Dragnet took place in the late 1960s. And in this scene, there's this guy who's a no-nonsense sergeant named Joe Friday. And his partner is Officer Bill Gannon. And they are lecturing a few young men. And I want you to pay attention because the lessons that they are teaching these young men applied 50 years ago, but they also apply now in an almost eerie fashion. You just don't understand. Maybe we do, son. Don't think you have a corner on all of virtue vision in the country or that everybody else is fat and selfish and you're the first generation to come along that's felt dissatisfied. They all have, you know about different things, and most of them didn't have the same opportunity and freedoms that you do. Let's talk poverty. Most places in the world, that's not a problem. It's a way of life. And rights, they're liable to give you a blank stare because they may not know what you're talking about. 
The fact is, more people are living better right here than anywhere else ever before in history. So don't expect us to roll over and play dead when you say you're dissatisfied. It's not perfect, but it's a great deal better than when we grew up. A hundred men standing in the street hoping for one job, selling apples on the street corner. That's one of the things we were dissatisfied about, and you don't see that much anymore. You're taller, stronger, healthier, better educated, and you live longer than the last generation. And we don't think that's altogether bad. You've probably never seen a quarantine sign in your neighbor's door. Diphtheria, scarlet fever, whooping cough. Probably none of your classmates are crippled with polio. You don't see many mastoid scars anymore. We've done quite a bit of fighting all around the world. Whether you think it was moral or not, a lot of people are free today to make their own mistakes because of it. And that may just include you. I don't know. Maybe part of it's the fact that you're in a hurry. You've grown up on instant orange juice. Flip a dial, instant entertainment. Dial seven digits, instant communication. Turn a key, push a pedal, instant transportation. Flash a card, instant money. Shove in a problem, push a few buttons, instant answers. But some problems you can't get quick answers to no matter how much you want them. Instant orange juice as I preach from my iPad. So that's wisdom. That, those guys are imparting wisdom on these young men. And it's different from knowledge. It's different even from opinion. So here's a chart to quickly show you how knowledge and wisdom are different. Whereas knowledge is the collection of information and facts, wisdom is the ability to judge, discern, and make right choices. Wisdom is comprehensive. It's developed over time. And it's it has to do with the spiritual realm, and it has to do with, um, it's associated with our soul. And so King Solomon, he asked God for wisdom, not knowledge. And that pleased God very much. But knowledge isn't bad. We want this church to be a place where you can come and obtain knowledge. But we want for Carmel Prez to also be a wellspring of spiritual wisdom. This is a place where you can come and learn about the things of God, but also that you can, a place that you can live into them. This is a place that helps your head knowledge become heart knowledge so that you can live your best life. So let me begin this endeavor and start this three-week series off with a really important theological foundation. Real wisdom comes from God's revelation to us. Spiritual wisdom must be revealed to us by God himself in the abundance of his grace. And the main way that he does this is through the Bible. So this morning, we're going to turn to Ecclesiastes as we begin this series called A Time for Everything. The author of Ecclesiastes, who many believe to be King Solomon himself, has a gift of having penetrating observation He's able to state things in a profound and challenging way so that the readers are spurred on to deeper thought and reflection. And that's why this book is considered wisdom literature. So you can see up there, page 553, or on your instant cell phones, you can pull up um, this passage, Ecclesiastes 1. Let me pray for us. Father, as we open up your word, um, we pray that all of the distractions, all of our um, preconceived notions would dissipate and that you would be clearly seen. Would you speak to us? Would you help us to understand who you are and who we are as a result of that? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 1 through 3. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So keep your finger right there. The preacher, as he is called, begins with this assertion. All is vanity. Some translations um, have it as all is meaningless. Essentially, he is perplexed as he attempts to figure out life. So he poses this all-important question in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? He is, he's wondering, what is the meaning of all of this? Every day, we work, we go to school, we take care of our families, we eat, we sleep, we wake up, and we do it all over again. But why? What do we really gain in the end? And this isn't just a question for Christians, by the way. Every human has these exact same questions about life, and that is why it is so important to discuss. When it comes down to it, we all want to know if there is any significance to our existence. Ecclesiastes is one of those books that forces us to wrestle with some of these difficult topics. But questions that really, we're all asking. Life gets weird and hard sometimes, and we're asking these questions, but sometimes we're too afraid to verbalize them. As one commentator writes, Ecclesiastes takes the reader on a roller coaster ride as its main character sets out to explore the meaning of life. So buckle up. Here we go. Verse four, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there any, a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been done in the ages before us, and there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after." That is, that's a poem, just so you know, like a really, really sad emo poem. Um, it's almost haunting. All things are full of weariness. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no remembrance. These words paint a somber but accurate picture about the enigma of life. You might be working hard in order to leave a lasting legacy. But this poem says that no matter what you achieve, in the grand scheme of things, you will be quickly forgotten. That, that's horrible. <laughs> that is just, that's bad. But the point that's being made is an important one. Our identity cannot be based on our achievements or making a name for ourselves. The poem goes on to illustrate the cyclical reality of the natural world that we all instinctively know to be true, and we all see. Everything is repetitive and seasonal. Time, we can't stop it. It relentlessly marches forward. And if this is the case, as we've all experienced it to be, then what is the purpose of our lives and our laboring? 
Time will just keep on moving forward. We will be replaced by future generations, and the world will keep on doing what the world has always done. So let's see how this passage ends, and maybe we'll get some answers. Or maybe we just have to sit with this stuff, which is okay too. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So twice now we've been told that it's all vanity. It's all in vain. The Hebrew word here is hebel. And it's 38 times in this book. And usually that's a good indication that it's an important word. And so scholars have tried to figure out an accurate translation for this word. So some would say it's absurd or meaningless, useless, vanity, or a puff of breath. Others suggest that this word be translated as enigmatic. And the reason for this particular translation is because the word hebel is not trying to tell us that everything is absolutely meaningless. Instead, it is trying to express that there is meaning, but it appears ungraspable and incomprehensible. I prefer this translation for a variety of reasons. Life is enigmatic. It is a puzzle. It's mysterious. It's difficult to interpret or understand sometimes. This reminds me of when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's trying to explain to him the spirit of God. It blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, you recognize it, but you do not know exactly where it comes from or where it's going. It also reminds me of Silas's bubble phase. Yes, he, he went through a very serious bubble phase. It lasted about a month or two, and for two hours every day, we would have to blow bubbles like this. Now you do a little. Get them. Go blow them. <laughs> Don't eat them. <laughs> so humor me on this. Life is a lot like chasing after bubbles in the wind. It can bring so much joy and beauty, but we do not know exactly which direction it's gonna go. And once we try to grasp it, once we think we've finally got a handle on it, what happens? Pop, right in front of our eyes. The fleeting beauty and happiness of life exposes this tension between a world created for shalom, for, for flourishing, and the sin that has become embedded in it. When it comes down to it, all of our striving is in vain because we are tainted. Adam was given the job of working before the fall of humankind in Genesis 2. 
Just so you know, when the world was perfect, we still had to work. But then in Genesis 3, after the fall, Adam's work becomes frustrated and tiresome and even leads to death. So Ecclesiastes must be read with this key interpretive um, tool or just this, through this lens that we are to fear God and find meaning in Him alone because we live in a fallen, confusing, and frustrating world. Today is Veterans Day and the 100-year anniversary of the end of World War I. And so we've already recognized those veterans who are seated amongst us, and I won't make you stand up again. And I don't want to put you on the spot. And I could never understand exactly what you have done, what you've sacrificed, what you've endured. But I did spend a lot of time with military personnel, because I'm from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, most, half of it's Navy. Half of my church growing up was Navy. And I was surrounded by these servicemen and women who constantly amazed me with their dedication, their perseverance, and their faithfulness. And I'm willing to bet that those of you who have served or who are currently serving have experienced the reality that Ecclesiastes is talking about. These battles and conflicts are full of weariness. World War I was supposed to be what? The war to end all wars. But verse 9 says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. What has been done is what will be done. And sadly, many of our veterans must have felt the agony of verses 4 and 11 in their own lives. A generation goes and a generation comes, and there is no remembrance of former things. Well, today we do. We want to take the time to remember what you have done. We apologize if we've marginalized you in any way, and we want to let you know that we thank God for you and for your service and the fact that because of what you've done, what you've sacrificed, I'm able to stand up here and preach before you today, and we can sit here and listen. And while it is important and good for us to praise our veterans, our scripture this morning teaches us that if our veterans were serving this country in order to create some sort of legacy for themselves or to even find purpose in their lives, then they would be hopelessly disappointed. There is emptiness in the pursuit of significance in a fallen world. It is a fool's errand to try and find meaning apart from God in a world that at every point relies on its creator. Our souls are designed to yearn for and to trust in God. We're designed to be in relationship with him and to give him all the glory so that his name, not our names, his name is made famous from generation to generation. Has God revealed that wisdom to you yet? Have you surrendered your job, your education, your family, your social life, your everything to Christ? Have you recognized that life apart from God is utterly meaningless? Well, then the rest of this sermon is for you. Ecclesiastes is not some book for unbelievers who are struggling to find their direction in life. In life. The author's crisis and journey of exploration is that of a believer. He's not unfamiliar with the ways of the Lord. 
He is a devout follower of Yahweh. Believers are not exempt from this sort of profound crisis of faith. Life is hard to understand. You don't have to look far. Look at this week in our state. There's fires raging all around us. Twelve innocent lives were taken for no reason whatsoever. There are no easy answers for these types of things. But what I can tell you is that I cannot imagine living in this broken and chaotic world without the hope of Jesus Christ and the promise of something better. While even the most faithful ones of us struggle with our identity and purpose, we are called to heed Jesus' instruction. In Matthew 10, 16, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We're told to be wise and to go out into a hostile world. So I entitled this particular sermon, Ignorance is Bliss. And I will be the first to admit that I am envious of blissfully ignorant people. And that is because, here's the deal. The more wisdom that we have, the more responsibility we have. We read this morning, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more we know, the more sorrowful life can be. Just look at our sin, for instance. As God reveals to us the depth of our sins, we cannot help but become more sorrowful and distraught. We cannot help but notice that things are not as they should be in the world around us as we have family members and friends and neighbors and even enemies who are suffering because they do not know, they do not have the wisdom that we have yet. So Jesus sends us out on mission to show compassion to people, to sit with them, and to commiserate with them about how hard life is to grasp and understand. And when the opportunity arises, we are asked to then share the wisdom that we have received, that God is the creator of the world, Christ is the savior of the world, and the Holy Spirit is working to renew and restore the world. These truths do not just have far off implications. Every single person yearns for purpose in the here and now. I'm sure we could all think of a person that we know who is struggling with a sickness, an injustice, or a tragedy in his or her life. But there's another group of people who are suffering. And this group might be the ones that resonate the most with Ecclesiastes 1. There are some of you here today who are suffering under just a sense of soul-crushing apathy. And if that is you, then I am willing to bet, if that's not you, I'm willing to bet that you know someone who's going through something like that. Someone who's living a life believing that everything is just random and has no rhyme or reason to it. I have a man in my life who's um, always been a role model. He's just this picture of masculinity and self-assuredness. 
He's strong and quiet. And in a moment of um, just vulnerability, he made a confession to me. And he told me that he didn't even tell his wife this. He told me that he was seeing a therapist. Now, quick aside, I want to move towards a society that it's more of a confession when we don't see a therapist. That's just a quick little added two cents for you. From what I know about this person, something drastic must have taken place for him of all people to go see a therapist. That's just not how he was raised. It's, it's, it, it, something traumatic must have happened. But as he began to share, the plight that he was facing was, was so much more nuanced. The root problem for him was that he was feeling like he was just floating along, that he was alive, but he didn't feel alive. Day in and day out, he did the same thing to the same end. He went to work, came home, did chores, ate dinner with the family, played around to golf once a month, year after year, just drifting along, neither happy nor sad, just numb to it all. We cannot find meaning in this life apart from God. The author of Ecclesiastes knew this, but even still, he says it all seems pointless from time to time. It can be so wearisome, but I want you all to know this, every single one of you, that your life is not in vain. I know it feels like that sometimes. God knows that it feels like that sometimes. But you have immense value. So much so that you were created and rescued by God. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Let's take a moment to pray into that. Lord Jesus, By your Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would reveal your wisdom to each and every one of us. First and foremost, that you made no mistakes in creating us. That you knit us together in our mother's wombs on purpose. You had a destiny for us. And because we are made in your image, we have immense value. So I pray also that you would help each one of us to know our purpose, how we might serve you in your kingdom. And so, Father, as we segue into a different kind of worship, as we worship you through giving back a portion of what you've given us. Let this be just an example of a way that we live on purpose, that we give you our resources so that we might partner with the God of the universe in doing amazing things in this community and in this world. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that you give our lives significance. in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, 
visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.